The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. It's been pretty hot and dry in Toronto. And so my colleagues and I have been going out to our orchard park every single week to water our trees. That's because fruit trees need water to survive and to produce a quality harvest. But how much water do fruit trees need? My guest on the show today is Matthew Whiting, Extension Specialist from Washington State University, and he was researching that topic when he came across an interesting idea. Water use differs from tree to tree, and that depends on many factors, including tree size, root structure, cultivar, and more. But what if you grow your trees in a fruiting wall structure? Would it be easier to accurately predict the tree's water needs? And so Matthew tested that idea by comparing cherry trees grown in shrub form with cherry trees that were pruned and trained into fruiting walls. And he discovered that it was easier to predict irrigation needs when the trees were grown in fruiting walls. He also realized that fruiting walls were easier to prune, easier to spray and harvest, and that they can even produce better quality fruit. So in today's show, we're going to talk about the fruiting wall system that Matthew helped develop. This system is now used by commercial growers around the world. And if you want to, you can adapt it to your own backyard. The system is called Upright Fruiting Offshoots, or UFO. But before we dive into the topic, I would love to hear from you. If you're listening to the show live, just send us an email with a question, a comment, or just to say hi, and we'll enter you into today's contest to win Micro Food Gardening, Project Plans and Plants for Growing Fruits and Veggies in Tiny Spaces. That's a book by Jennifer McGinnis, valued at $26.99. So to enter the contest right now, all you have to do is send us an email, send it to instudio101 at gmail.com. 
That's in studio 101 at gmail.com. And just remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. I really look forward to hearing from you. So now to Matthew. Matthew, welcome to the show today. Hi, Susan. Thank you. So tell me a little bit. Okay, we're talking about this idea of fruiting walls. What is a fruiting wall? What's it going to look like? Yeah, well, fruiting wall is just a very somewhat an intuitive description, isn't it, of, uh, of a different approach to managing your fruit trees. As you pointed out, whether that is in a backyard or whether that's in a 100-acre orchard in eastern Washington where I live. Um, so it's a different approach to manipulating the growth of the tree to create a structure that at its maturity does look like a wall of fruit. And so the, that's how the description came about. So how, how are you going to structure that? A, a tree, especially, and you were starting with cherry trees, a cherry tree is three-dimensional and, uh, you know, big branches grows quite vigorously. So mm. can you describe to us where is the trunk going to be and what are the branches going to look like? What will it look like? Sure. Yeah, well, you're, you're right. If you plant a, a cherry tree from the nursery into your backyard or out in an, in an orchard and you leave it unattended, um, it will grow into actually a, a very globular shape. Uh, cherries are, are naturally a, a forest species um, from somewhere, they believe, around the, around the Black Sea uh, area. And they are very vigorous, naturally. They'll grow to be 80 feet tall if, if left unmanipulated. Un um, and so what we're talking about with fruiting walls is a very radical change in structure and shape and form. Um, and it has behind it uh, several motivations. Um, one of those is to simplify the, the pruning process. Um, and so I'll describe for you just very brief, briefly to answer those questions of what does the trunk look like? What does the tree look like? Um, I began uh, almost 20 years ago now at Washington State University, and uh, the industry was comprised of older orchards, cherry orchards, um, with, as you described, large trees, very complex structures, often 20 feet tall. So these required a lot of labor um, for the purposes of pruning, uh, tall ladders. And then when it comes to harvest, those ladders come back with people carrying buckets, climbing up and down and moving ladders. And I recognized uh, quite quickly that uh, Actually, first of all, I wasn't really very confident in giving uh, growers advice on how to prune those trees because each tree was so very different and, and very complicated and required a lot of interpretation. So we went back to the beginning and saying, well, what can you buy from the nurseries? What do you plant and how do you take advantage of that? How do you take advantage of the way that cherry likes to grow naturally? Um, and from that, uh, this concept of fruiting wall and then more specifically of the upright fruiting offshoot architecture, um, which is one way of creating a fruiting wall, was, was really developed. And so we've, we've simplified the processes of pruning and training um, uh, through collaborative work over many years with, with commercial growers input along the way and have developed this system. It's incredible. So I, I'll tell you my story with fruiting walls, uh, with UFO in particular. So somewhere online, I found some instructions, I guess, perhaps you probably you wrote them. 
And it basically said, okay, take the 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 young whip, the young, very young tree. You mm-hmm. bend, you've got your trellis in the background, and you bend that trunk so that the trunk is going horizontally. And then you get like a jail cell. <laughs> a number of shoots will come up and down from that bended trunk. Mm-hmm. So there you've got your one bent over tree and a bunch of upright shoots that you're going to grow your cherries on. And so I thought, oh, I got to try this. And yet for me, it was counterintuitive because everything I've learned about fruit trees tells me that that uh, fruit grows on the horizontal branches, Hmm. that you don't want a bunch of different upright branches because you won't get any fruit. Well, I have my UFO system in the backyard and there is tons of fruit on that thing. So how do you explain why it is that these upright shoots are even able to produce a nice harvest? Yeah, well, actually, the, what you just described there is, is a good way to think about it with these jail cell bars in front of you. Um, and that is the, the main radical departure from all other ways that that backyard orchardists and commercial orchardists were growing cherry trees um, was to, one of the keys uh, I, I want to make clear, one of the keys was to um, fill the space, right? Any orchard textbook will tell you you've got to fill the space between the trees quickly uh, in order to capture the sunlight and all the energy that's present um, uh, in, in that light energy and then convert that into, into high quality fruit. Um, and by planting the trees at this angle and then having a horizontal uh, leader that connects the trees, we can do that at the time of planting. So from the first year, the trees should be connected down the road. And then from that point, you're growing the vertical wood um, from that. Um, and another key point, of course, is that cherry among the temperate tree fruit species is especially acritonic or, or, or apical dominant, and um, where that terminal bud wants to grow with not a lot of lateral shoots. And in all the other systems, particularly as you described fruiting on horizontal wood, um, oftentimes you have to make special pruning cuts or interventions in order to increase the amount of horizontal wood to try to get the fruiting. So we're trying to use the way that cherries like to grow, and we're trying to fill the space at the time of planting. Now then your question about how vertical wood can be fruitful. Yeah, that's um, that in, just as you say is very true that a horizontal piece of wood, everything else being equal, is more productive. They'll tend to set more flower buds and, and get higher fruit set rates. Is more productive than vertical wood. Um, but the big X factor here was the adoption of these new dwarfing and precocious rootstocks. So the concept of the UFO really developed in parallel with the large-scale availability of size-controlling and precocious rootstocks. Um, So where we can plant at higher densities and we actually tend to overcrop those trees when you have horizontal fruiting wood. So there's too many fruit and as a result, very small fruit. So the vertical wood actually just as you say, it, it, it mitigates the, the crop density somewhat, but that's to the benefit of the trees in this case. And so we're able to balance a little bit better the crop quantity and thereby improve crop quality. Incredible. And I think 
growing a number of different types of fruit trees, I would see how cherries would be perfect because they're so vigorous. Oh gosh, they just want to grow. Perhaps if I did that with my apple trees, I would have a long wait for fruit because they just, some of them really are very slow to produce. So I guess my question is, do you have to think quite carefully about what cultivars you're going to use if you're going to grow a fruiting wall UFO structure? I would say not really. There are a few exceptions. Uh, when it comes to sweet cherry, as I said, they're very upright growing in their habit. Um, there are a few exceptions of popular commercial cultivars that tend to be less upright. Um, and those aren't especially well suited to the UFO. They're better suited to systems that, that fruit off horizontal wood. Um, but you'd, you'd have a hard time with cherries making a mistake with the UFO. Um, you mentioned apples. We have done trials with apples in the UFO structure, and I have seen apples uh, grown in the UFO architecture around the world, and it actually works really, really well for most types of apples. And um, one of the keys, of course, is balancing the, the tree vigor with your tree spacing. Um, and that sounds like a very simple question, but it's one of the more complicated ones um, to balance the vigor and the quality and the quantity of the fruit. Um, but if you can get the spacing of the trees right, um, it really is very effective for most tree fruit species. We've seen it with um, uh, apricots, plums, um, pears, apples, uh, various examples around the world. And so it started off with this quirky idea on your part. Um, and then so now I understand that that growers are using this around the world. Uh, from what you've seen, you visited sites all over the place, right? Yeah, actually, that's been really, uh, frankly, one of the most rewarding aspects of this whole development was to see it being adopted and having emails come from from Norway or from from China, from Japan, from Turkey, Italy, uh, Chile. Yeah, in in my travels, um, uh, I often run into growers at at meetings or on field days that come up and and say, hey, we've, we've, we just put in our second block to the UFO. Um, I had a grower from Australia visiting me last week, and he was just interested in UFO. He had started a few blocks uh, a few years ago and now wanted to transition his other fruit crops into the UFO structure as well. And so we spent a half day looking at commercial orchards and talking about strategies and pruning techniques and, and the benefits of, of using these structures. So that that's really been exciting to see and to learn that that it's the word is out and the structure is being adopted to to, to certain degree of commercial success too. And what do you think accounts for the commercial success? Uh, you mentioned to me earlier about um, machines that can prune, like you don't even need humans to prune and harvest anymore. Or how does that work? Yeah, so that for me, Susan was was almost you know number one factor in advancing and further refining the architecture was and is the ability to incorporate mechanization. So this becomes probably less of a concern on the list of, of backyard orchardists who are doing the precision pruning themselves. Um, but where I work and live in eastern Washington, we produce 
almost 60% of the cherries in the United States, actually almost 10% of the cherry production in the world happens here. And there are large farms and their number one issue is labor efficiency because of the reasons that are somewhat intuitive. You know, the older architectures are more complicated. They're larger, requires ladders uh, and uh, a lot of interpretation when it comes to pruning and training. So we want really a driving factor was this goal to incorporate mechanization. And yes, yes, uh, we've been we've been successful so far. It, I've had many great partnerships with agricultural mechanical engineers over the years where we are um, using fully mechanical pruning systems in vertical walls uh, with the UFO and finding, for example, um, that uh, pruning efficiency is Im improved 30-fold compared to uh, pruning by hand. And um, we've also seen, though, that you don't need to adopt mechanization. I think you mentioned this in your introduction, how um, it's more efficient for sprays and just labor efficiency in general. Um, we did a fairly extensive study almost 10 years ago now that documented essentially a doubling in harvest efficiency in fruiting wall architectures of the UFO versus older three-dimensional more bush style systems. So even without doing anything else and not incorporating any machines, you can radically improve uh, production efficiency by using these architectures. So we have a question here from Tanya in Toronto. So Tanya writes, which kinds of cherries are the best for growing along a wall? Would Nanking cherries be suitable? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, um, Nanking would be a different species than, than Prunus avium, which is the, the, the sweet cherry that we grow commercially. Um, you know, I would suggest that you really take a look at the growth habit of Nanking in your area. If you have some uh, in your yard and if, if they have more of a weeping or lateral branching growth habit or of a natural bush style, then I would suggest probably not. Um, it works especially well when you have more of a vertical growth habit um, and you can expect uh, half of a meter to a meter of new growth every year from, from terminal shoots. So have a look at Nanking. Um, I'm not so familiar with it. Um, with its growth habit. So take a look at how it how it grows. And if you're finding that there's a lot of lateral shoots and it's probably not well suited. And Tanya, I would love to hear what you discover when you find out and tell me, email me and tell me what you do because I'm very curious. Um, okay, we have an email from Amy. Uh, Amy's listening from Greenville, South Carolina. Amy writes, this is a very exciting topic. Can any cherries be grown along a wall? Thanks. And actually, that's a good question in terms of what about sour cherries? Would they work? Um, so to, in terms of cherries or the broader umbrella of cherries, which would include, as, as the pointed out, Nanking and other various species of, of prunus, um, the short answer is no. Um, and, and directly for, for tart cherries or sour cherries, which is uh, um, the species prunus cerasis, uh, generally speaking, no. We... Hmm. For the for the for the same reasons that I've stated, you know, they they tend to have more of a very short lateral branching, a lot more lateral branching um, than sweet cherries, and generally speaking, less vigorous, um, and are grown very successfully and very well in more of a bush style architecture. 
Um, it's funny because when you talk about structure, I think about my big sweet cherry trees, our ones in the park. And because the the branches want to grow so long and so upwards, they seem to really want to grow into a vase or cup shape. So they're going out and up rather than our apple trees where we can really train nicely into central leader shape with lots of like Christmas tree shape with lots of horizontal branches. So I guess in my mind's eye, when you talk about that habit, how do they like to grow? If we see those side branches are just growing up, they really want to grow out and up. That's probably a good candidate. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And the tree will respond most importantly to those first few years and the training interventions that you make. That's the critical moment. And that's one thing that I really underscore for commercial growers or anybody wanting to try it. The effort and establishing the structure is really in years one and years two. So prior to any significant fruiting, but you've got to get that 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 horizontal leader in place. You have to maintain vigor at the terminal end of that tree in the first year and then allow in the second year those uprights or those jail bars Susan refers to come (laughs) subsequently, right? And if you're successful in doing that, you'll, you'll completely change the structure of the tree from the beginning. So you won't have that vase structure that it would like to grow to naturally it'll it'll tend to conform i i often joke with uh, with orchardists anybody who's growing and pruning a tree that they're very manipulative people right because they they are they are changing the way that a tree wants to grow and so you have to be manipulative here and it's so important to do that in the in the the formative years of of after planting the tree I like to see it as I'm sculpting my fruit trees with all the pruning we do and that I see it as a collaboration. So I'm working with the tree with its needs and we're working together to create a beautiful, strong fruit bearing structure for the tree. So partnership. I'm all about partnership. Um, We have an email here from, let's see, from Gail from San Diego. Does your guest have any of this information online for a reference? Great question, Gail. So uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to go into more details in just a minute, but is there an online guide for people who want to learn um, UFO uh, fruiting wall pruning? There is, um, but it's also a good reminder that I need to do more. So thanks for that. Uh, but there is a um, an extension bulletin that three colleagues and I published several years ago now on, I think it was eight different ways or training systems for sweet cherry. And it varies from a steep leader to a central leader to a, to, to a UFO structure. And in that there are pencil drawings of, of, of really step-by-step of planting year one, year two, year three, et cetera. So yes, there are there is that resource available. That's a, a Pacific Northwest extension bulletin number 667. So if you just did a Google search actually for PNW667, I'll bet that that'll pop up. And I'll tell you what, I will also put that link. I'll find the link. I'll put it both in the show notes for the this radio show and also for I'm going to be editing a video of this show and I will put it in the YouTube video notes as well. So we'll make sure everybody can get hold of those. So here's what I would like to do. 
Let's take a few moments and hear some words from our sponsors. And then after that, I would like to go into detail of how you do, how you sculpt this tree into a UFO sculpture, <laughs> into our jail cell. Beautiful. I mean, it's a negative way of looking at it, but just to illustrate. So we'll do that in just a minute. Matthew, are you okay just holding on the line for a minute or two? For sure. Sounds good. Oh, okay, great. That's perfect. So you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast. It's brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training Website, OrchardPeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care books, Growing Urban Orchards, and Grow Fruit Trees Fast. And we're going to be back right after this little break. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. Hi everyone, it's Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com. Do you have a question about growing fruit trees? Maybe your tree is struggling with pest and disease problems, or maybe it produces poor quality fruit. If you're looking for the answer to these problems, pick up a copy of my new book, Grow Fruit Trees Fast. In the book, I'll teach you what you need to do to keep your fruit trees healthy and productive. And as a bonus, the book takes just one hour to read. Go to Amazon.com or your local Amazon store and search for Grow Fruit Trees Fast by Susan Poisner. I hope you love the book and that it helps you have healthy and productive fruit trees. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. 
We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalogue. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffletree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board right now, send us an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. Now back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. In the show today, we've been talking about growing cherry trees and other fruit trees in an easier to maintain fruiting wall structure. And my guest on the show is Matthew Whiting, an extension specialist from Washington State University, who played a key role in developing the UFO fruiting wall system. In just a moment, Matthew is going to tell us how to create a fruiting wall and how we can make it in our own garden. But first, I really want to hear from you. If you're listening to this show live, send us an email with your question or a comment, or you know what? You can just write us to say hello. And if you do that, we will enter you into today's contest to win a copy of the book called Micro Food Gardening Project Plans and Plants for Growing Fruits and Veggies in Tiny Spaces. And it's by Jennifer McGinnis valued at $26.99. So to enter today's contest, just send us an email to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. I really look forward to hearing from you. So back to Matthew. All right, Matthew, we want to create, uh, let's say I want to create a fruiting wall UFO style in my garden. I guess the first step is to buy the tree. Are there any thoughts or suggestions as to what kind of tree to, to select to start off? For sure. Yeah, the one of the reasons that um, we were working on this architecture was because of the nursery stock that was available commercially, which you've already used this phrase, and so your listeners may be used to it, which is a whip, which is an unbranched uh, young tree, right? Um, and so most cherry trees do come as as these whips, and so um, that's uh, that's very well suited to the structure, and that's where we want to begin, actually. If you do find nurseries that have lateral branching on their cherry trees, in fact, most times that's undesirable. You'll want to you'll want to prune those off. Um, so an unbranched whip is a great place to start. Um, and you want to remove lateral branches and you want to pay attention to the rootstock. 
I'm not sure what um, options you would have commercially there, uh, but um, that makes a, a world of difference in in setting up the the structure from the beginning. So find out what rootstock the, tr the trees are on. Obviously, you'll be seeking out specific cultivars that you like, um, and 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 start from there with with what should generally be widely available as these unbranched whips. And so uh, do we have to go for a dwarfing rootstock? If we choose a full-size tree, we can we can control that vigor with a fruiting wall UFO structure? Yes, it's a little more difficult. Um, I have seen examples uh, in Chile and in California where growers did use uh, full-size rootstocks um, such as Mazard, which is, a, which is also a prunus avium. Uh, selection and uh, colt which is uh, a different uh, prunus selection but both are very vigorous they grow large trees um the difference here will be in your in your spacing of the trees if you were going to put in a small uh, wall let's say four to ten trees um if you're choosing a more vigorous rootstock you need to space them out further um if you were if you had access to these more size controlling rootstocks, you can simply plant them much closer. In that guide, this Pacific Northwest uh, guide for cherry training systems that we talked about a moment ago, there are recommendations for spacing based on the rootstocks. And those are just rough places to start, of course. Um, one of the big differences that you'd have with uh, listeners who, uh, out east or, or, or backyard work would be um, the access to irrigation or the natural rainfall in their area and how that will impact uh, tree growth. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, think about how vigorous the trees are in your yard right now or, or that you're growing with and try to account for that. If you have less a less vigorous site, clearly you can plant the trees a little bit closer together. But if you've got a lot of vigor, you're always doing a lot of pruning in your, in your backyard orchard, uh, you're going to want to plant the trees a little bit further apart. Okay, so we have an email now from Dawn from Waterford, Michigan. Hi, Dawn. Uh, so hi, I just wanted to say thank you for the great information and another pruning project for me to learn about. Thank you, Dawn. Wonderful. Okay, so we've got our whip, that young fruit tree that we would have gotten from a specialist fruit tree nursery. Mm -hmm. uh, it's planting day. Do we need to plant it along a wall or a fence? Do we need to construct a simple trellis? Yeah, it, it doesn't need to be along a wall or a fence, but it certainly could be, right? In fact, um, your, your previous show on, on Espalier, I'm sure, began with this conversation of these old uh, uh, courtyards in, in, um, and on the north-facing, well, in the northern hemisphere, on the north-facing side or the, or the south-facing side, pardon me, um, and getting that sun exposure was where that concept really began. Um, you could do that, uh, absolutely. Um, so if you are in the northern hemisphere, you're going to plant it on the on the southern uh, wall, and uh, if you're in the southern hemisphere, you're going to plant it on the northern side. And um, simple trellis systems are probably necessary, um, and that can be uh, literally as simple as a few end posts and two to three wires, perhaps spaced about uh, a meter apart. Um, the key will be your first wire. You you're going to want the height. And somewhere around 20 inches, 22 inches. And that's because that's the height at which you want to establish that horizontal um, leader. Um, 
And then the key is to, uh, at the time of planting, is actually to plant the tree at a 45 degree angle in the ground. So we are not planting these trees vertically and then bending them over. Um, that creates uh, rather a sharp curvature in that stem. Uh, and at that point, you tend to get a lot of very vigorous shoots growing at that curve. So really what you want to do is plant them at 45 degrees and leave them at 45 degrees uh, for most, if not the entire first growing season. And then later on in the season, you're going to bring them, uh, bring that terminal end horizontal. That actually is a very simple but critical maneuver in the first year. We started by planting them vertically and then tying them over horizontally to a wire and had those sharp bends um, and it ended up being a disaster. And we got too much vigorous growth right at the bend and it, and it shut off the remainder of the tree, as you can imagine. So it's important to keep the vigor in the first year at the terminal end of the tree. So plant them at 45 degrees. You could clip it with one little clip or tie to your first wire at 20, 22 inches to maintain that angle and leave it. Really, the only thing you're worried about there is vigorous new shoots towards the basal portion of the tree. Um, but it's that's really all you're looking for in the first year. Okay, so we've got an email here from Glenn. Glenn says, hello, Susan. Is this technique just for cherries? And Glenn says, Boston, Massachusetts loves you. Yay, Boston. <laughs> That's Thank you so much. So yeah, so is this just for cherries? So we're focusing on cherries, but what, what you know, it's we're not limited. Is that true, Matthew? A absolutely not limited for cherries. No, not at all. Um, in fact, uh, just this spring, I planted a new orchard in our experimental farm with apples, where we're doing precisely these same steps um, with apples with the goal of creating uh, vertical, vertically oriented uh, fruiting walls. And uh, yes, we have a simple trellis system in there, just as I described. Um, and uh, right, your process is the same. And um, you really want to start with a unheaded whip um, and so sometimes that's difficult for apples because in, in apple tree nurseries tend to put out trees with a lot of uh, horizontal limbs or feathers in that first year um, and that makes sense because all other architectures are very happy to have those early branches but we're not interested in those with with the ufo structure so you'd actually end up pruning those out and just um Re recreating the structure from that un, uh, unbranched whip. Okay, so we've started. We've planted our tree on a 45 degree angle. It is a whip. It has no side branches. We haven't even, we've tied it or clipped it to our first wire, but we haven't even bent it down. And I've noticed we have not pruned it. We did not give it a whip cut, nothing. We just left that terminal bud. So, yes. Do we only tie down the rest of that branch onto the horizontal at the end of the season, or do we wait till year two? So typically you'll do it in the same season, just later in the year, maybe late summer, early fall. The only trick here is to catch that moment before the tree has become too lignified and you're, and you're unable then subsequently to, to bring the end horizontal to the wire. That's the key. So 
the only mistake is waiting too long and you come back with these trees that are at 45 degrees and you say, okay, now I want to bring it down onto the wire and you hear a crack or a snap. Oh, that would not be good. Okay, so we want to be working with the tender young branches. Okay, we got two questions. Let's have a look. Uh, So this one's from Catherine. Catherine is, I don't know where Catherine's from. Thank you for sharing all this precious information. I'm trying to make a fruit wall with Asian pear trees, all grafted on Asian pear, Yali and others, seedlings, or the seedlings themselves. Hope it's possible, question mark. Definitely possible. Yes, I have seen a, a UFO system in Japan uh, with Asian pears, and it was absolutely marvelous um, with the precision and the limb placement and the way that they had set it up on the trellis. Um, and that one was configured to a, to a, to a Y shape Right as you look down the row, you can have fruiting walls either configured vertically or you can have them configured into a Y trellis. Of course, the Y is a little bit more complicated for a backyard orchardist. Um, I'd probably recommend a vertical wall, but it can be done using the same same process. But yes, Asian pears actually looked uh, looked marvelous in the uh, in the UFO system. So here's a question from Ken. Hi to Susan and guest. Very interesting concept. I would love to try it. Is it very hard to start all this? I'm a relatively new gardener. Thank you for any advice that you can give me. I'm listening to you from Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? Um, the short answer there is is no. But as I pointed out earlier, the, the really the keys are in the first two years. Once you've got past that, in fact, you will find that this structure is the simplest way to maintain your trees. Um, And this was one of the other motivations for developing the structure was to simplify this uh, this artwork that is pruning. Susan, you described it as sculpting, which made me think of you as an artist would create a sculpture. And that's very much true in the way that um, most trees are pruned, right? It requires some thought, some interpretation. Um, I like the way you described it as sort of as a partnership or a relationship with the trees, but where it's personal, you're, you're looking at the tree, you're interpreting the growth, the vigor, the shape, the health of the tree and reacting to that to try to improve it. And um, with the UFO structure, once you have filled in this space and you've created the upright, uh, your pruning processes are very, very simple. Um, we can get into those, but we've basically distilled it down to two key pruning rules that I am willing to bet everybody listening could do. If we walked into a UFO orchard right now, it would take me about 30 seconds to describe to you the pruning rules and you could do it to perfection uh, with, with no more training than that. That's great. That's so inspiring. Okay, so we're going to get there in one minute. So now year two. Oh, year one. We have planted on uh, diagonal. We have eventually tied it down to the branch. So our leader, our trunk, quote, quote unquote, is now horizontal. Mm-hmm. Year two. What happens in year two? Because obviously not much to prune yet. How do we get these upright shoots to create that jail cell look for us? <laughs> right. So the, after the first year, you're exactly right. Your tree will still be coming out of the ground at 45 degrees. And then as it reaches the wire, it will be then transitioned to horizontal. And 
if you've had new shoot growth, which you should have in the first year, you'll have at least one, maybe two new of those first uprights. And the other key is that it has filled the space to the neighboring tree at that point. Really, that's 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 your goal. So let's say that's year one. Those are the main objectives. The only thing I'll add to year one, though, is you have to look out for what we call bold shoots or vigorous shoots coming from near the base of the tree. And this happens fairly frequently. So even though you've got it at 45 degrees, one of these more basal buds on the nursery tree may grow and begin to develop. And just because of its natural position being uh, upstream, right, from the terminal end of the tree, it will tend to become excessively vigorous, and that will also devigorate the terminal end of the tree, and that is exactly what you hope to avoid. So I would recommend a month or two after planting, look at the trees again and see if there are any new shoots coming from the basal portions of the tree. And if there are, they have to be simply pinched off and removed. And that okay. makes total sense because they're competing. They're they're going to want to go and turn into a real trunk, not a sideways horizontal trunk. So we'll remove those. Exactly right. Yeah. And if you've done that in the first year and you've got a tree at 45 degrees, a nice gradual curve to horizontal, and then uh, one terminal or two terminal shoots that you've got started as your verticals, that's a great yep. place. Awesome. Year okay, two. let's go to year two. Yeah. Year two, you are looking for new shoots across the top of that wire, across the top of that horizontal limb to fill in the space. You've, you've got that gap now between trees that needs to be filled in. And our experience is that buds that are well positioned on the top of that horizontal piece will actually break naturally and grow very vertically. And um, we have found that you don't need to do any sort of intervention of a, of a scoring or any hormonal treatments to these buds to try to get them to break. It's really not necessary in the vast majority of cases. And so naturally, those shoots will, will grow in the second year. Um, but you've given the terminal end of the tree a one-year head start, and that creates a nice balance um, among those uprights. Now, so sometimes... So that's it. Now, sometimes you might have two of those uprights that are a little bit close to each other. Like I'm assuming the spacing should be how many inches apart uh, between your little upright branches? Eight to 10 inches is ideal. Eight to 10 inches. So if I have a sprout going up every two inches, I guess I have to prune some of them off. I have to pick and choose. Absolutely. Yes, that's a good point. And we've seen cases of that where there's excessive vigor in a, in a, in a site and most of the buds on that horizontal limb break in that second year into new shoots. And then, as you say, you've got to just thin those out at the base to well-spaced vertical shoots. Okay, so I'm ready for year three. Are you ready for year three, Matthew? I think we're ready. Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. It's a big year. What's going to happen in year three? Well, uh, the most significant thing in in a commercial scenario is year three, you starting to fruit in, in in a decent quantity. Those shoots that grew at the terminal end in the first year should be fruiting in year three, because now it is two year old wood. 
uh, flowering wood, uh, and that's true for apples as, as well. Um, so year three is uh, is a transition year into, into fruiting. Um, and really in year three, your, your goals haven't changed. Um, you want to have uh, well-spaced, upright wood, and your goal now is to get these terminal shoots to develop and grow towards the top of your structure, of your trellis structure. Um, so there's really very little intervention or pruning or training to do unless you didn't get the breaks in the previous year and now you're trying to encourage those but there's there's not a lot to do in in the third year now as time goes on though your upright shoots are going to get side branches mm-hmm. right now what do we do you know what do you do with the side branches they're gonna make it kind of messy it's going to be a very hairy looking jail cell, right? There's going to be branches coming out of all of those multiple leaders. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that then now we're getting into the the, the sort of the year three and beyond the routine pruning decisions. Um, and the first one, the first fundamental pruning rule for UFO is to remove lateral shoots. So for example, if in the second year you had a new shoot grow vertically and then it stopped and it was fine after the first growing in that second year. Now in the next season, you'll tend to have a few lateral shoots towards the terminal end of that branch and the new extension growth. Um, Yeah, so you look for lateral growth off these vertical uprights and you prune it back. You prune Um, it back or you prune it off? Do we want to get rid of it completely or do we want to leave little branchlets that maybe might produce fruit? So that really is a good question and gets into the subtleties, into the art of of understanding the cultivar that you have and its fruiting habit. For me, it depends on which cultivar you have because you could do either. You could remove those lateral shoots entirely and leaving no opportunity for regrowth. Or if you have a cultivar that does set a lot of lateral branches and sets a lot of fruit at the base of lateral branches, you can just cut those back very short, let's say two to three inches and capture that fruit that will be at the base of that shoot. And that's a decision that you'd have to learn from experience with the cultivar that you have in your your growing location. Now, when you in a commercial orchard have mechanical pruning robots go through the rows what are they doing how long are they leaving the little branchlets or are they getting right up to the tree and removing them completely right so that was one of the early observations that we had hey just going through and cutting off side shoots is pretty easy so using a mechanical uh, hedger or a sickle bar oriented vertically um, along the the row could accomplish that readily as well and we've 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 tested that and shown that you can so in terms of how close you get it really depends on the skill of the driver frankly in some cases uh, and how smooth or, or rough your terrain is but if it's a nice orchard you can get within three or four inches routinely and cut all of those branches back with uh, with a machine so interesting so um Okay, one thing I want to clarify is climates are different everywhere. You guys are in a very dry climate. In my climate, it's mixed. I mean, right now it's been pretty dry, but um, 
we get a lot of bacterial canker on our cherry trees, a lot of issues. My concern would be uh, that this might be a challenging approach if you are in a wetter climate with bacterial canker, you've got these machines or people pruning, not sterilizing their pruners in between trees and things like that. Is there a concern that different climates might have different responses to this system? Yes, definitely, for sure. Um, as you point out, where, where we are here in the in the irrigated desert in, in eastern Washington, we have very few concerns about uh, cankers uh, and, and, and diseases or, or issues really related to having wood against a wire and, and the rubbing and the, and the damage that, that can occur from that. Um, there are decades old apple and cherry and pear orchards here where that are been trellised without any without any negative effects. But yes, right, as uh, as different different regions have different pressures from, from diseases and, and pests, and that absolutely needs to be considered. We found that um, a simple hack for backyard orcharding and, and wires against wood would be to place a, a little piece of, uh, of drip line, of, of, of uh, plastic drip line, um, over the over the galvanized wire right where the tree meets it. And that uh, oftentimes uh, makes a world of difference. You don't have the, 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 the concerns of the damage and the rubbing there. Uh, there are also, depending on your region and availability, there are non-metallic trellis wires, right? That are plastic wires um, that are available. And those seem to be better than the metal options in terms of inducing damage and, and, and having disease problems. So yeah, for sure. Um, it always always say, um, yeah, look at uh, what's growing well in, in your region, uh, where mistakes have been made and learn from those. And uh, if you've got problems with trellises, then there are a few things that you can do to get around those. That's so excellent. I'm really excited. I would love to hear from the listeners. How do you guys feel about this? This is an awesome way of growing. And as I said, I've been doing it for a good few years and I love it. I'm not in the park, uh, but I do it in my backyard. Um, if people want to learn more, we will have the document that Matthew's going to share. And also, I will be editing together a video from this interview, which will be on my Orchard People YouTube channel. So you can go and find that in a couple of days, and you'll get a sort of illustrated version of this talk. Finally, I do teach a class online. It's called Fruit Tree Pruning Masterclass. And one of the approaches that I teach you guys is how to create a fruiting wall using my own experience as, a, and as, as an example. So people might be interested in that. They'll find it at learn.orchardpeople.com, learn.orchardpeople.com. Now, in just a minute, we're going to find out who won the prize today. And, uh, but first, I just want to thank the listeners. Now, today, it's been a quiet show. I think everybody's been listening to you, Matthew, and thinking, I don't want to ask a question because I'm learning too much. <laughs> so, but I get these emails from fantastic listeners, and I so appreciate it. So I just wanted to take a moment to thank everybody who writes me wonderful emails. So for instance, I had an email from Ken, a listener, Ken wrote me, and I told Matthew before, I'm not great at reading jokes, but this is funny. So I'm going to try and read it for you guys. So Ken writes, hello, Susan, a gardening funny for you. I started growing some fungi in my garden, but it failed miserably. I guess there is mushroom for improvement. Thank you. Oh. 
<laughs> Thank you, Gary. Yes, we got our sound effects. So uh, hopefully I delivered that okay. Um, also, Howard and Hank wrote in to say that they hoped that the huge internet outage in Canada didn't affect my show. And I so appreciated that. And no, it was just fine for me. I was okay. I was online. Hank also wished me the best of luck on my new book, Grow Fruit Trees Fast. So thank to thank you to both of you guys. Also, another listener, Karen, wrote me to say, I am enjoying all of your podcasts online. So very interesting and educational. Thank you for them. So all of your emails just make my day, whether it's during the live show or in between shows. And so thank you all of you for your feedback. I really appreciate it. Now, time for the contest. Um, we have our copy of the book, Micro Food Gardening, Project Plans and Plants for Growing Fruits and Veggies in Tiny Spaces by Jennifer McGuinness, valued at $26.99. Now, Gary, who you heard a moment ago, is going to help us choose the winner. Gary. I am. Now, Matthew, I put the uh, listeners' emails that wrote in into a little little cup here, and I'm going to shake it, and you'll hear it on the air and you tell me when to stop and when I stop I'll pull one of those pieces of paper out. Are you ready? Here we go. Stop. Okay, hold on here. And let's see here. The winner of the book is Don G from Waterford, Michigan. Yay, Dawn's the winner today. That is so great. Thank you so much, Gary. Thank you, Matthew. So Dawn, we're going to get your address. Uh, you'll get an email from us. You'll send us your address and we'll have that book shipped right to you to enjoy. So congratulations. And for all the other people who sent in emails, tune in again next month. We're going to have another show with another prize and there'll be something else you can win next time. So I also want to thank you, Matthew. You've spent such a lovely amount of time with us on the show describing this amazing, fun system. And I know for many of the people who you work with, it might be fun, but it's really practical and it gets them to produce amazing fruit. But for us, it's both practical and it's going to be really fun for a lot of people to try and, and try their hand at this. So thank you for spending this time with us today. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Susan, and all that you do for the for the orcharding culture around the around the world. Oh, I love it. It's just my my joy. I love doing this stuff. Kind of crazy, but I love it. Um, okay, well, thanks everybody for tuning into the show today. If you need, want to listen again or download other episodes, just go to orchardpeople.com slash podcasts. And you can also learn more about growing fruit trees on orchardpeople.com, where I also, also have articles and courses on fruit tree care. So if you want to learn how to grow fruit trees, but you don't have a lot of time, you don't want to take a course, it's just too busy, grab a copy of my brand new book, Grow Fruit Trees Fast. I wrote it for you guys, you busy people, because in one hour, you'll read that book You'll get, you'll understand what it is that you need to do in order to grow fruit trees successfully. To get your copy, you can go to orchardpeople.com slash grow fruit or search for grow fruit trees fast in your local Amazon store. So that's all for today. I hope you're going to join me again next month. We're going to have another great topic and another wonderful guest. So thank you so much, everybody. And I will see you next time. Take care and bye for now. 
You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener. And I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.